Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, August 2nd, 2021. On the show today, news in listener questions, is this the end of Schmerz Day? And in our main segment, Jim tells us about how Disney got its private Caribbean island, Castaway Key, ready for its first guests. Let's get started by bringing in the man who often wonders what became of the people who asked him for directions. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? This is not my fault. This is my mother, <laughs> lovely woman, but there were five of us. So a few things got glossed over, left, right, how to tie shoes. My theory is with the shoe thing, my mother was figuring, you know, one or two of them will fall down in traffic. That thins the herd. But the left, right thing, I must not have been paying attention that day. So I apologize to all those people who are... Now wandering around the wilderness going, he said, turn left, didn't he? Have you ever seen the the meme picture that is Kermit looking out a rain-swept window? That's That pairs really well with that that thing. I wonder whatever happened to the people who with directions to. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the funny thing is that I was once talking to my, uh, to my mom, and she was joking. I'm 99% sure she was joking. Mm-hmm. But she said, you know, why is East always on the right of a compass? <laughs> like, oh, Carol, don't, don't, wow. don't go there. Please, please don't, okay. don't ever drive anywhere. Well, yeah, yeah, we took our license after that. Okay, yeah. okay. For the nautical folks out there, port is always on the left, all right? Yeah. Okay. You can remember because they both have uh, they both have three uh, four letters. No, on, that's so it exactly. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that, so, but again, you do the east-west thing, it falls apart. <laughs> oh, all right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Buck Zach, Matt K25, and Melinda Joe 0407. And longtime subscribers, Alanya VT, Rapunzel R, and Chris Wilkins. Jim, these folks, known as the Seis Caballos, are the backing band for Jose, Donald, and Pancho when they tour as the Three Caballeros. They say that being on the road with them is like traveling with family. And now that sanctions related to the Montevideo Holiday Inn incident from 83 have finally been lifted, they're looking forward to playing Uruguay again real soon. True story. Is this where we bring up bird flu or no, never mind. Okay. <laughs> it was a thing with Randy Rhodes and the, uh, and the, the television. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. Very worry for your travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, the big news coming out of Walt Disney World Disneyland, of course, is that indoor masks are now required for both vaccinated and unvaccinated guests in both resorts. This follows advice from the CDC earlier in the week and from Orange County Mayor Jerry Demings a couple of days ago. And that advice came because Florida is now second in the nation in daily cases per capita, up 161% in the last two weeks. Florida is also tied in for first in the country in hospitalizations per capita, up 126% in the last two weeks. Also, Florida's death rate is more than double the national average for COVID. You and I have been sort of watching this lurch over the horizon these past couple of months. And it's just sort of like, oh, please don't let that happen. The thing is, you knew it would. Mm. Like, I've... I've been running around Walt Disney World for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I like for six consecutive days, I was I spent six consecutive days in the parks and I was talking to a to a Disney exec. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, we're, you know, we're coming out of I won't mention the ride because that would mm-hmm. identify the park. But I'm like, look, look, yep. nobody in inside this ride is wearing a mask. So either everyone's vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? Including the kids who aren't eligible for vaccines, right? Tell me how that happens. Mm-hmm. Or people are just faking it, right? People are just aren't following the rules. And you guys, you guys got to know this, right? You, you know this is happening. And so I'm a, I'm a little disappointed there. I am as well. And I think the thing that is so frustrating is that so many of us worked so hard to get to this point that we've done it. We've got the vaccine. You know, we, we waited yeah. the few weeks. We got the next vaccine. In fact, every day now when I go down to my local post office, my local post office has never removed the mask mandate. So, you know, literally yeah. every day, get out of the car, put on the mask, go in and get the mail, come in. They don't deliver mail directly to you in New Hampshire? 
You're like the last frontier out there? What is uh, it? We live on a dirt road. Oh, all right. We are between two towns who, frankly, do you want to deliver the mail to him? No. Uh, do you want it to? No. <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> you, you, you literally live in an area disavowed by the post. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Neither rain nor sleet nor snow nor hail, but no, Jim Hill, except, no. Except for, yeah, except for that. Except that, for that anyway. guy. No. You know. So here's my, here's my question, Jim. You know how Disney recently uh, changed its park opening procedures to go back to sort of what was pre-pandemic rope drop, where they would essentially hold people Mm -hmm. at places like the end of Main Street or uh, the front part of Future World or the ends of Hollywood Boulevard slash Sunset Boulevard, right? In groups clumped together outdoors and then, you know, release everyone like at official park opening or 30 minutes in advance, whatever. Do you think they're going to go back to what had happened during the pandemic where they open the parks even earlier to avoid the clumping together of guests? In theory, that makes sense. But remember, we are still in a a staffing situation. They are still trying to get bodies to properly staff these parks. Please do not take this out on the cast members. This is not their fault. This is a very fluid situation where I bet you that stuff that Len and I are talking about today will have changed by the time this podcast is posted. By Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not their fault. I realize you're on vacation. I realize you paid a lot of money to get there. I realize you got up early and got in line and that sort of thing. But again, not the cast member's fault. And just, you, you got to roll with the punches here. You got to bring a little extra patience. The one little shiny light here that's worth noting is the number of people who've actually gotten vaccinated over the past week to 10 yeah. days. Thankfully, the Delta and the Lambda variant has put the fear of God into a lot of people. And so... Oh, we're up to a Lambda variant? Are we really? Yeah, yeah. Jim, who knew that uh, this is how we were all going to learn the Greek alphabet? <laughs> Here we go. There we go. By the way, you mentioned uh, staffing shortages. I was talking to an unnamed person from an unnamed restaurant, either in Orlando or Anaheim, who said that they're losing more than $100,000 a day in business uh-huh. because they don't have the staff to operate the entire restaurant. Oof. Wow. Think about that. $700,000 a, a week in revenue. Holy. At least it was actually higher than that, but I won't mention the number. Um, yeah, because they yeah, can't, can't run the entire restaurant all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like how much more would you have to ha- to pay people to, to work there, to keep it open? Like it wouldn't be a hundred thousand dollars a day. What it, it probably wouldn't even be a thousand dollars. Would it be a thousand dollars a day? So are the margins, I mean, I know the margins are that are pretty thin in restaurants, mm-hmm. but are they that thin? Like if you're Disney, right. And you know, you're charging $52 for a steak, you charged $54 for the steak. So, you know, a little, little less than 2% increase. Mm-hmm. That's not enough to cover everyone. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. I'd, I'd have to look at those numbers. By the way, let me uh, tell you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you off air mm-hmm. what Disney charges this particular restaurant for rent. Okay. So, Jim, it's. Guess what they're paying a month in rent? How north of 150000 are we talking? Oh, Jim. <laughs> Jim, 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 Jim. So I never want you to lose this childhood optimism that you have. So try closer to $700,000 a month. In oh, oh, oh my <laughs> God. In rent, like, that's not rent. That's a shakedown. Holy <laughs> like, dude, cow. Not- <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, good times, good times. <laughs> Jeez, holy cow. All right, speaking of restaurants, you, you have some news about other ones that are they're opening up in property, right? That's right. And it, uh, so some of these are pretty good. So uh, Pizza Safari at Animal mm-hmm. Kingdom reopens tomorrow, or today, actually, mm-hmm. August 2nd. Yay. Okay. Not my favorite place, but has excellent uh, air conditioning and uh, very good restrooms, so that's good. Yachtsman Steakhouse over at Yachts Club opens mm-hmm. August 5th. Excellent cuts of steak. Our good friend, Mike Scabetta, used to be maitre d' over there. So shout out to Yachtsman. They have excellent service mm-hmm. at Yachtsman. I really like it quite a bit. Toledo Tapas Steaks and Seafood. You can read the rest of the menu online. Also opens August 5th. I don't think Toledo's as good as Haleo for the same mm-hmm. kind of food. But you don't have to go to Disney Springs if you're staying at Coronado. So I get that. And then other good news, Columbia Harbor House, the Magic Kingdom. Reopens August 5th. Columbia Harbor House is one of the highest rated counter service restaurants in all of Walt Disney World. 
So seeing that reopen is very, very good. I agree. I just yeah, wait, where's that where's that outdoor line for Peter Pan going to go now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. If they go back to physical distancing on some of these lines because of the mask, right. thing, yeah, uh, you know, this is all up in the air. And the thing, the thing to me is like the next thirty mm-hmm. days, the questions that everyone asks, the answers are all going to be we don't know because it's going to take even if everyone started wearing masks tomorrow, it's going to take mm. thirty days for us to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, Jim, not for nothing, dude, but uh, October 1st is two months away. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's like we need to get this act together very, very quickly. Especially when you think about when did they start the ad buys for the 50th anniversary? Yeah, I know. This is just not. It's not. <laughs> and, and, and so just to sort of like put a, put a, a number on this, the announcement came out yesterday evening. Between the announcement coming out and this morning when we're recording the shows, we had $100,000 in trip cancellations for during plans travel agents. $100,000 in like 12 hours. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so, not great. That, not great. No, not at all. Yeah. So you got to think know. Disney, I mean, is, is many multiples of that. And they just got to mm-hmm. be like, what do we do here? And it's, it's really out of the control, right? It's up to the individual no, states. And, yeah. No, no. And that's it exactly. And, yeah. you know, and, and certainly Florida, again, we don't need to get in the political end of this stuff, but, you know, Florida's response to COVID since the get-go has been interesting and lots of agendas being serviced here, and especially with a, a state that is, has so much of its income tied up in tourism. In tourism, sort of, exactly. It's yeah. just one of these things where it's like, okay, at this point, you really have to bite the bullet. You really have to do something because we can't re- keep repeating this pattern. Yeah, we can't. We can't go through another year. Of this. This is not. Yeah. It's not going to no. be great. So no. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. Let's do some listener questions. Um, first one up from Sherry, who says, "We recently moved to Orlando and want to know about the logistics of visiting the recently announced gingerbread houses for the holidays. I read that some hotels will be bringing these back, but my understanding is that you still can't just go to a hotel to visit." unless you've got a restaurant reservation. Do I have to go through the hubbub of parking at Disney Springs, taking a bus to the hotel and back? Or is there another way? All right. So it looks like the houses that they've announced, the gingerbread houses, the Grand Floridian, which always has you know a, a pretty big display, Wilderness Lodge, Contemporary, mm-hmm. Boardwalk, and Beach Club, right? So you've got a couple of options there. For the Magic Kingdom Resorts, um, you can park or get dropped off at the TTC and take the resort monorail all the way around. And then maybe a boat uh, either from the Magic Kingdom to the Wilderness Lodge or, you know, something like that. For the Epcot resorts, you can get dropped off at the Swan or Dolphin or you can park in their lots. There's a little bit of cost if you park, but um, Mm -hmm. it's better than trying to convince someone at Beach Club or Boardwalk that you can park. By the way, Jim, did you know that the Grand Floridian, even right now, has amazing chocolate animal displays going on? Right now? Right now. So if you, yeah. So again, I was, you know, I've been walking around the, the mm-hmm. parks and stuff. And you know where the uh, Alice in Wonderland themed water play area is for kids? Yeah, the Florida, yeah. Right sort of at the side. Yeah, right off the lobby there. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. If you go through that lobby entrance, mm-hmm. there's a display of a Florida, that's either panther or leopard. I'm not good on my zoology, um, mm-hmm. in a plastic case there. But if you look closely, the mm-hmm. sign on the case says it's made entirely of chocolate. <laughs> And I looked at that, and I, I, Jim, I passed that thing 10 times mm-hmm. over the last week until Laurel finally looked at it, and we were like debating, is it a leopard, is it a panther? And Florida mm-hmm. looked at it, Laurel looked at it and said, it's neither, it's chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, that is amazing. I mean, just the, the stuff that the pastry people are doing over at Grand Floridian is just astounding, just amazing. I mean, just works of art, really, really good stuff. So you've got a chance to walk around the Grand Floridian lobby. Take a look at those especially because they're really, really spectacular in addition to the gingerbread houses. And please don't kick out the plug. <laughs> please do not do that. There's got to be some level of refrigeration involved here because it's like it's going to go from a Florida panther to a Florida puddle in one afternoon. <laughs> exactly. There's some sort of Florida swamp creature. The everything with it, you know, speaking of the Alice in Wonderland pool, kids pool mm-hmm. play area over at Grand Floridian. Have you seen how much water that that big giant bucket dumps onto oh. children? Like you've got to be like ten or twelve years old to withstand that. Like I'm thinking it's it's taken three years old and just washing them out to you know out of the pool. It's a it's an amazing amount of like Laurel and I looked at that and said, 
uh, you know, kids be damned. I, I want to go play in this thing. Like, like yeah. let, the, let them come and try and kick me out, I think was what Laurel's, Laurel's exact phrase was. As an adult, you have an appreciation for how much your neck vertebrae can be compressed by that much water hitting you. <laughs> yeah, right. like, you got your chiropractor on speed dial as you're doing that. Yeah, just it might be something to appreciate from a distance, Len. I, you know, I'm just saying, okay? You know? speaking, of, yeah. speaking of that, I was at, mm-hmm. um, so I said at uh, uh, Polynesian on opening night back on the 19th. Mm-hmm with Chrissy. And I hadn't been in the poly main pool probably in five years, but you know, Gigi, my niece was there and Gigi mm-hmm. wanted to go down the, the slide. So mm-hmm. I don't know how middle-aged mm-hmm. men go down slides without ending up at the mm-hmm. doctor's office. But <laughs> the, you know, there's a, there's a waterfall that comes off the, sort of the volcano part of the main mm-hmm. Polynesian pool. Have you ever stood underneath that? That's a lot of water, Jim. That was, uh, but that, yeah. well, I gotta tell you, man, I was walking around the parks all day. And getting in that pool was the most refreshing thing I'd done in a long, long, long time. If we're talking about therapeutic pools at oh, you know yeah. the Disney resorts, I, I have to say, Stormalong Bay with it—it's yeah, a combination, yeah, yeah. the sandy bottom and just that slight current. I was telling Laurel exactly that. We were walking back from Epcot. I parked mm-hmm. at Beach Club, and Laurel's like, "Yeah, hey, we haven't been to Yacht Club. Let's go to Yacht Club." So we walked through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, walk past Stormalong Bay and everything. I'm like, this is a great, and you forget how big and how mm-hmm. good the pool is until you're right there. But so we're, we're actually like, oh, we need to stay at Yacht Club now. So that's where mm-hmm. our next day is going to be at Yacht Club. Oh, okay. Well, I'll take the fold away bed. You guys are fine. <laughs> I'll, and I'll be out in the pool. Laurel's, uh, Laurel's uh, idea was that the Ace Hotel Company should take over Yacht Club and turn it into another, another kind of hotel. Anyway, uh, if you're a fan of uh, uh, Ace or McMinimins in the Pacific Northwest. Same idea. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Scott. He says, I'm from Scotland and have booked a two-week vacation for the middle two weeks in October 2022. It'll be me, my wife, and three boys ages 10, 7, and 4. My parents are also tagging along. And this sort of, Jim, this is a what-if scenario. So let's go through that. For the okay. first week, we have two garden rooms at the Contemporary. In the second week, it's a three-bedroom condo at Diamond Resorts Grand Villas. We've been here many times, and the rooms are excellent. So, Jim, for reference, mm-hmm. um, actually just checked out this Diamond Resort last week. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's right off of Palm Parkway, so sort of nearish Disney Springs. Three-bedroom villas, we measured at over 1,800 square feet. Big roof. Okay. Okay. So, are the benefits staying not only on property, but a deluxe now? Worthwhile, since Disney started trimming back the benefits. The loss of free dining was bad enough, but Magical Express and rumors of paid fast passes is making me seriously look at doing just two weeks off-site would save around $4,100 by staying off-site. So the question from Scott is, should we do it? Right. Hmm. 4100 So $4,100, bucks, Jim, hmm. staying off-site. So, there is, so let's go over what, what the hassles are. Um, you'd have to either rent a car or Uber back and forth, right? So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a cost there of somewhere around, let's say. Um, you know, if you're Ubering 100 bucks a day, if you're renting a car, $50 a day, plus parking, so 75 hmm. right? And let's say, for the sake of argument, that... Disney does do paid fast passes and that they're going to cost $20 each. So for a fair, or let's, let's make the math easy, $25 each. No, mm-hmm. let's say 20 because it's a family of five. So $100 per ride per fast pass. Uh, and you're going to do five of them in a day, right? So $500 a day in fast passes. You'd still only spend $3,500 a week in fast passes and you'd save $4,100. <sighs> and you get 1,800 square feet versus like 900 square feet. Yeah. This is what concerns me about the new math. Right. Yeah. People start asking these exact questions, right? <laughs> yeah. How many people is he bringing? He's bringing his mother-in-law. How many kids? Uh, so total of uh, his family, Scott's family's five, and then the parents are tagging along, but that's a separate uh, set of accommodations. All right. Take, for example, uh, the Discovery Cove package over at SeaWorld. Yeah. For 200 some odd dollars, you get a day at Discovery Cove, but you get a full week of admission to SeaWorld and, and Bush Gardens. And yeah. face it, if you're staying off-site at the Diamond Resort Grande Villas, most likely you have a rental car. And yeah. this is what I worry about with Disney these days. It's just when the tipping point arrives, and I worry that we're getting closer to it each day. I mean, for some things, we may be past the tipping point, right? Yeah. And yeah. Because I'll, I'll be honest, you know, Scott sent this email, but this is one of several that I got along the mm. exact same lines. Yeah. And this is the 50th anniversary year where people who haven't been to Disney World in a while will come back. 
And, you know, you don't want this to be the conversation they bring home. They got fast pass or, you know, it's this much to park. It's this much to eat. When you have a good time, you tell three people. When you have a bad time, you tell seven. Right. So, so for 4100 bucks. Uh, by the way, let me point out that there are other diamond resorts available. The one that I stayed at was the Grand Beach, mm-hmm. which was a two-bedroom. Um, but it was also $100 cheaper than this. So... You know, for somewhere between four and five thousand dollars of savings, would you stay on site? And, and for reference, that's like a third of Scott's overall budget. Mm-hmm. I ran this idea by Laurel, and Laurel said she would pick the contemporary because she likes being in the bubble, and you know, you mm-hmm. don't have to worry about going back and forth, yada yada. Which I get, right? That's perfectly valid. Five grand. And also remember, you're talking five grand in a year where you know, Universal down the street just opened Velocicoaster, which you've sung the praises of. And, yeah, Velocicoaster you know, is fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and we're just a year out for Hagrid. That's a great point, actually. So if you, if you saved five grand on every vacation, by the time that Universal's third park opens, you've saved enough for another trip. This is the comparison that I do every year in the Disney Cruise Line book, mm-hmm. where Disney's cruise to Alaska is 40% more, 60% more than the cost of a Royal cruise. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you could go to Alaska on Disney or you could Mm -hmm. go to Alaska on Royal and to the Caribbean on Royal for the same price. Like, what would you rather do, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's... mm, 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 mm. There's a lot of people that are going to get really good with math and spreadsheets very, very soon. That's what I'm thinking. This is true. And it's just sort of like, yeah, you get time with Mickey, but is is that really worth, you know, four and five thousand dollars? Uh, if you're doing that once in a lifetime trip, I get that you know, you're not going to be as, as cost sensitive. But you're, if you go every, you know, you play to go every five years, you know, mm. let's say, you're, you know, if you've got a couple of kids and you want to do one special trip for each kid, you know, five grand to the pop. I mean, that's a lot, that's a lot of college tuition, man. That's a there lot of, it's a lot there of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's in the value propositions can be different for everyone. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but if you guys have, uh, if our listeners have questions like this, let's, you know, let's go Please through them. them I love the what if scenarios. There you go. All right, here's, a, here's another question. This one's from Alex. It says, hey, Jim mm-hmm. and Len, I went to Disneyland last week and I came back with some insights I thought you'd be interested in. While virtual queues were mentally stressful, I found them to be really easy to book if you're on top of everything. We booked both Rise and Web Slingers on our first day for a group of six. What shocked me most was mobile ordering. We had an order at the Hungry Bear for lunch. By the way, the finest dining establishment in all of Disneyland. <laughs> I will not be taking questions. Um, okay. Anyway. It took over an hour after our check-in to get our food, and that's with a couple of escalations. The frustration was palpable throughout the restaurant as this was happening to everyone. Most of our orders were fine, but this one went way beyond egregious. Was this more of a one-time issue, or do you think there's some sort of more structural problem around mobile ordering that Disney is facing? And then post-COVID, do you think that Disney will keep mobile ordering around? So, Jim, you and I talked about a similar situation last week on last week's show in Walt Disney World where we couldn't order fast food in or near the Magic Kingdom without a 60 or 90 minute wait to get it. So I think the main issue here is staffing. In fact, I know some Disneyland restaurants are actually starting to cut uh, their operating hours, and I think that's because they're shorthanded. The weird part of the mobile ordering thing is because it is so instantaneous. In fact, it sort of acerbates the situation. It's like, look, I ordered. And the notion of, well, where is my food? Do you mean the thing you ordered 30 seconds ago? Oh, it's well, like when I order on. a package from Amazon, I immediately yeah. go to USPS <laughs> tracking, you know. Yeah, you package. know. I, yeah. And you have to remember that Hungry Bear, just 18 months ago, this was handling hundreds of customers per hour with no problem. Mm. It just, they cannot get the bodies at this point. And, yeah. and the staff that is working there is, you know, the very thing that he talked about, you know, the escalations, the circling back on the cashier or, you know, talking yeah. with the staff that steps up to like a level of ag- aggravation. And that in turn helps, you know, more people say, you know, it, this isn't worth it. And they step away from the job. And now yeah. you have to retrain somebody else to do that <laughs> yeah. job. And while, and while you're doing that, they're short staffed, which causes more pressure. All right. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mobius yeah. strip. So I wonder how much of this, I mean, so Alex brings up a good pointer. I wonder how much of this is a side effect of adding technology to this problem and making the mobile ordering virtual. So imagine it was a physical line, right? Mm-hmm. Where Alex saw yeah. an hour wait to get food. He, he wouldn't go to Hungry Bear. He would go mm-hmm. somewhere else with a shorter line or he'd go to a cart or mm-hmm. a kiosk or something, right? 
But with, with virtual lines, right, it's easier to see what restaurants are available and it's easy to see the return window time. But it looks like um, mobile ordering, when it shows you the return window time, isn't showing you your actual time to wait. And so, I, so you, it's hard for guests to tell yeah. that a restaurant's overloaded and therefore go somewhere else because there's no visual cue to tell you that. And it's not like Disney's going to tell you like, hey, Alex, you know, I know this, you know, you can, we say this window is 30 minutes from now, but you know, in reality, it's an hour, right? Yeah. So you, I mean, I don't know how that gets better. It was just a couple of shows ago. You, I think we were talking about the self-regulating lines with social distancing for things yeah. like a Big Thunder. And this is, an, this is an area where I think in the technology masks that so people yeah. can't make those self-balancing decisions. That's super interesting. Anyway, if, I mean, yeah, this is one of those areas where it should be a case study for something somewhere. I don't know. Absolutely. But that coupled with the fact that by the time you've walked all the way back to yeah, the hungry, hungry, hungry bear's bear, not in the middle of the park. Right? No, no. And, and, you know, the whole notion of you've mobile ordered, you've committed, yeah. you're hanging yeah, in that your area. Yeah, has been charged, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, ah, I feel for you, Alex. I feel for you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. I wonder what, um, I wonder how to fix that. Anyway, if anybody has any good ideas, send them in. Mm -hmm. All right. Last listener question from Greg with two G's. He says, I must turn to you as the inventor of Schmurz Day for a ruling on when it will no longer be Schmurz Day. I know we're stuck in Schmurz Day until things return to normal, but 2019 normal will no longer return. Will it occur once the Disney Comeback Index hits a certain number? My company has taken a cautious approach since the pandemic hit the U.S., but even now they're planning to send people back into the offices come September. Oh, Greg, when you wrote that email <laughs> earlier this week, we were all so young. Anyway, uh, anyway uh, Greg finishes. This is an indication to me that we're approaching the practical end of Schmurz Day, even though it will be forever in our hearts. So, okay. Um, Greg and I actually went back and forth in this in, in email. And mm -hmm. on the one hand, yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, we all, we all are going to remember what day of the week it is. And, you know, Schmurz Day was uh, started off as a, as a joke about all time all blending together. So, you know, I, I, I'm cognizant of the fact that one day, for practical purposes, we're all going to know what day of the week it is. Um, but then we were talking about how every community, like, you know, the Disney Dish listeners, right? Every community has its own lingo and its own folklore, right, Jim? That's what makes it a community. True. Right? Mm -hmm. And maybe Schmurz Day is just this thing that we do. That could be nice. I don't know. I don't know, right? So on the one hand, you know, new listeners... Uh, who come in uh, when I say it's Schmurz Day, they're going to be, what, you know, what, what is Schmurz Day, right? Mm -hmm. And then they'll have to be explained. And you don't want there to be a huge barrier to entry to listening to the show. I don't want it to be filled with you know, so many inside jokes that no one mm -hmm. understands it and it's, and it's hard to become a listener, right? So it's got to be accessible to everyone. On the other hand, you know, a couple of inside jokes you know, where we, we all sort of wink at each other and say, it's Schmurz Day. Like, I, I'm good with that. So I don't know. Let's, I think we should ask the listeners. Okay. What do you guys think? Right. Schmurz Day or no Schmurz Day going forward? Let us know. Jim, we'll have to run a poll on Twitter. Let's do that. There you go. We, we place our fate in your hands, folks. <laughs> We're going to place our, 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 uh, our fate in the hands of social media. What could possibly go wrong? All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, Jim gives us the history of how Disney got ready for the opening of its first Caribbean island. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. How can it be August already? Wasn't it June just like five minutes ago? Uh, you know what they say. Never too late to have a happy childhood. Me, eh, I'm actually trying to have a healthier adulthood. Which is why I've been trying to cut down on the amount of sugar and carbs that I eat, which can sometimes make breakfast a bit of a challenge. But thanks to the talented team at Magic Spoon, a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be bland or boring. Magic Spoon has all of the flavors that you loved as a kid, but without all of the bad stuff. I mean, listen to this. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. It's only got 140 calories per serving. Plus, Magic Spoon has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving. I, how can you beat that? 
Better yet, you can build your own box or get a Magic Spoon variety pack with available flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Oh, almost forgot. Magic Spoon is bringing back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle permanently. When these flavors were first introduced for a limited time a while back, they sold out extremely quickly. So cookies and cream and maple waffle are now back on a permanent basis. Look, if you'd like to get your day off to a healthy yet delicious start, go to magicspoon.com slash DisneyDish today. And be sure to use our promo code DisneyDish at checkout to save $5 off your order. Mind you, Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. Which means if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Again, if you'd like to get your day off to a delicious and guilt-free start, head on over to magicspoon.com slash DisneyDish and use promo code DisneyDish to save $5 off your order. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring today's episode. Feeling a little stressed and anxious these days? Gee, I can't understand why. Maybe it's time you gave BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp isn't self-help, and it isn't a crisis line either. It is professional counseling, which allows you from the safety, comfort, and convenience of your own home to connect with licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, grief, family counseling, relationships, and anger. Anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you two can then start communicating in under 24 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, Plus, you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. And speaking of available, this service is available to clients worldwide. In fact, so many people have begun using BetterHelp that they are now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So why not start living a happier life today? As a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Disney Dish. So anyway, Jim, we're, uh, we're talking here about Castaway Key. And the, uh, the, the thing that brings this up is later on this week, Disney's going to do its first cruise uh, since the pandemic out yeah. of the United States, right? So, and we're actually, we're sending people on it. So we'll be able to report back on it. But yeah, so uh, I believe the dream, it's a four night? It's a four night Bohemian cruise. What's kind of interesting is because they're not stopping at Nassau. These folks are getting two stops at Castaway Key. A double dip at Castaway Key. That's my, uh, so my, I, it's what we tell people the ideal first Disney cruise is four or five nights on the dream of the fantasy with a double dip at Castaway Key, exactly what you should do. So, okay. All right. So, so people are going to get two chances at this island. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's the dream that, that's making this inaugural cruise. And it was 16 and a half months ago since the dream last set sail. That was Friday, March 20th and went for a three-day sailing, which also included a stop at Castaway Key. Yep. And there's a reason that you talk about this is your ideal introductory cruise. Yeah. I think Castaway Key is the best island like, for having fun in the Caribbean. Barbados is a close second, but yeah. You know, if we jump back, say, 240 years, people had an entirely different idea of Funland. <laughs> did it involve piracy and rum? It did. It did. In fact, there is proof that piracy definitely happened in the, the vicinity of, uh, of what, by the way, original name of this thing is Gorda Key, not Castaway Key, okay. but we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, uh, back in the 1950s, three coins and a 72-pound silver ingot were found just offshore of Gorda Key. And based on the markings that were found on this treasure, it's believed that it once belonged to Spain's King Philip IV and evidently was plundered in 1773 when the San Pedro a Spanish galleon was attacked and then sunk. Does uh, does Spain still have, still have a claim on that? Because seventy two pounds of silver. I know silver is only a few bucks an ounce, but seventy two pounds of silver is still not a, a decent a decent chunk of money. But you also have to remember this is this is the Bahamas, which sometimes has a rather relaxed attitude when it comes to oh property ownership and <laughs> contraband. And in fact, that brings us to the next crucial set of dates, you know, for Gorda Key, and that's January of 1920 through December of, of 1933, when an entirely different group of, well, 
I don't want to say criminals, let's say entrepreneurs. This is when the United States has a prohibition on the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. Right. Prohibition. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So at this point, Gordicay becomes sort of a way station, you know, people with alcohol. And we're not talking individual bottles here, folks. Yeah, we're, we're not talking, talking a fifth of whiskey here. We're talking about no. moving, uh, as the kids say, moving weight. Oh, yes. Case after case. It was the legal good stuff from Europe coupled with the, the rot gut that was being made by folks who maybe operated out of bathtubs, uh, but it would arrive in the, the island under cover of darkness, and those looking to buy the wares would also arrive to, with, at Gordicay with wads of cash. Because you're, I mean, you're, you're, how far are you from, from Florida? You're a couple hours boat ride from Florida, right? Oh, yes. Is it being used about? It's not like it's Czechoslovakia. No, no. And the, the Bahamian government takes kind of a blind eye to the whole operation because there's a lot of money to be had. I am shocked, shocked that there's <laughs> rum running <laughs> happening on this island. <laughs> sorry, yeah, you're alcohol. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Rick's Beachside Cafe. Okay. So anyway, Prohibition ends December 5th, 1933. All of the bank failures that occurred in March of that same year, Yes, the stock market crashed in October of 1929, but a lot of dominoes had to fall before we, we finally got to the true, dark, scary point in the Depression. And that's when the banks start failing in March of 33. And you can draw a straight line from the banks failing to enough with this prohibition crap. We need to put something happy back into people's world. So it's like, hey, you can buy some alcohol or more to the point, you can go work at a bar which you can you oh, can have jobs. a job jobs yeah. oh i never thought of it that way that 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 prohibition i mean there was always a there was always a strong pushback against prohibition legal and uh and otherwise right but a lot of people didn't like it but i didn't realize that the government looked at it as like okay things aren't going great people need something yeah. December 33, 21st uh, Amendment gets ratified, which in effect repeals the 18th, which you know, was far back January of 1919, barring the sale of alcohol. So, this is great. So, uh, so, so the government came to the conclusion that uh, alcohol is the opiate of the masses. All right. <laughs> literally. Literally. Okay. You know. All right. Let's go with that, Jim. Let's go with that. Okay. Now, the problem is, of course, lifting prohibition puts a crimp in all of this after hours bootlegging that's going out on Gorda K. So yeah. next 30 years or so, you know, this thousand acre island gets quiet. It's still a popular spot for yachters to stop, to anchor offshore, take yeah. a dinghy in, spend a day lazing on the beach. I'm guessing uh, I'm guessing uh, grouper smuggling not exactly the same <laughs> sort of lucrative. <laughs> Want to buy a lobster? Yeah, just not the same. Not the same. Not the same thing. Okay. But on the other hand, is you know we get to the late fifties, early sixties, yep. we now see the rise in popular of small light aircraft like Piper Cubs, yeah. and we see a world of activity out in Gorda Cay. So the U.S. government had some sort of Air Force station in the Bahamas. And the reason why I know this is that Laurel, my wife, was actually born in the Bahamas. Really? Yeah. I did not know that about. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, on on Andros, I believe mm -hmm. Andros is the island. Yeah, but her father flew a small playing like a Piper Cub between Florida and the Bahamas, like when he needed to go you know, to and from work and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Huh. I would be fascinated to talk with, uh, with Laurel's dad about uh, this gentleman, Alvin Tucker. Okay. He buys 150 acres on the island and he's the I'm one who- actually, the, the thing that is not cast away. Yeah. And he's the one who actually clears the land for a 2,400 foot long runway. It's it's still there. I've run on it. No, that's, I was, I, in <laughs> fact, I wanted to ask you about it because it's still it's, there. Yeah. In, in fact, if you talk with the imaginators who worked on the changing Gorda Key over to Castaway Key, yeah. there was serious discussion about, we should get this runway out of here. We should return the island to its natural state. It's a nice pathway, though, between that the, the two parts of the island. So it was like, we're going to destroy this and then repave half of it? The pushback was half of what makes the Caribbean... The Caribbean is the fact that, you know, that, that, you know, you have these lovable scoundrels. In fact, we celebrate them in our, a certain theme park ride, you know, and yeah. just sort of like, why, why would we, you know, attempt to, to clean up this thing that's no, been it's there? It's part of history. Yeah. There you go. Alan builds this 2,400-foot uh, runway with the notion he's going to open the island up for tourism, expand beyond the yacht-based crowd. Unfortunately, another industry leaps up instead, drug smuggling. 
and Gorda Key becomes a way station to fly drugs into Florida. Tucker tries to stop it, even gets Bahamian authorities involved, but eventually he begins to realize everybody's on the takedown here. So he actually sells the property to a third party who in turn sells it to another third property, a gentleman called Frank Barber. And at this point, tons of illegal substances are traveling to the U.S. daily through this island. Locals would talk about how they'd see as many as six planes a day land on, on Gorda Key and then <laughs> continue probably on. more than we're landing in Palm Beach at the time. One of the reasons I'd love to, to, to talk with Laurel's dad about this is that the Drug Enforcement Administration, which Nixon sets up in July of 73, as part of their global all-out war on the drug menace. I mean, Gorda Key, this is a lynch point. We need to do something. So in 1983, there's a bust on the island where they intercept a $100 million shipment land. Of drugs in that little island. On that little island. The island isn't worth $100 million. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that, that tells you a a bit about what what might have been in that Piper Cove, Len. That's uh, it's two hundred and seventy-five million dollars in today's money, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's we understand now why weed is legal in the United States. Wow, hundred million dollars in nineteen eighty-three. Okay, so yeah. Frank Frank Barber's involved in this, or it just happens? Oh wait, to- no, and Frank goes to jail. Wait, does he go to like a white-collar jail where he's like, does he go to? And I'm air quoting here. Does he go to jail? Well, I I think in this case, you know, he went to Capital J Jail. They were looking to make an example. The Bahamian authorities, because of this high-profile thing, immediately pivot to the fact, okay, we have to do something. But more to the point, we have to also do something that's fairly lucrative because, you know, this has been supporting the local economy. And somebody comes up with the, I'm not going to say exactly brilliant idea, given how stop-and-start film production is, but it's like, why don't we sell Gorda Key as a location for movie studios and television shows to come and shoot? Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. And so uh, picture this one. It's the exact same year, 1983, that the $100 million I mean, bus it's in the goes news. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> okay. And so who's the first company to step up to, again, the Bahamian authorities are mentioning this wonderful island that's beautiful. We should go there. The Walt Disney Company. Of course. It's not like they were organ smuggling. <laughs> <laughs> So if you go now and pull out your copy of Splash, the Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah film, Mm -hmm. the scene where the grown-up Tom Hanks and the grown-up Daryl Hannah meet for the first time, this is the scene that has recently been redone for Disney Plus because the earlier version, you know, that was shot in 83 and released to theaters in 84, you actually got to see a little bit of Daryl Hannah's rear end and evidently that's a no-no on Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah. Yeah, so Thousand Acre Island, Disney only developed 55 acres, and they're trying to keep the guests confined yeah. to that chunk of the island. Now, yeah. you've done- A large done- part of the island has never, been, has never been developed. You can go up to the lookout tower, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was created by the government or mm-hmm. the, the drug smugglers, you know, look, mm-hmm. looking who was looking out for whom there, but there's a lookout tower, three stories tall, at the end of one of the one- runways, and you mm-hmm. can go up there and see just exactly how much of the island is- totally undeveloped. Now, when you're up there, can you see, for example, they used a lot of the stuff that they pulled up out of the harbor to hide the sewerage treatment plant and likewise the desalinization plant? Can you yeah. see any of that from no, up there? No, you can't or? see any of it. No, not from there. And you can't, you can barely see it from the ship. Like you okay. can see the buildings, but it's all really, really well hidden. Okay. Well, oh, I, I, I guess I should also mention that there is one other Disney film that has in fact shot at Castaway Key, and that is, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. God, what a great movie. This is literally 20 years after Splash has been shot on the island, and Michael Eisner is fighting every day with Jerry Bruckheimer and Gore Verbinski over the cost of the Curse of the Black Pearl. And it's like, why does this cost so much? And so, you know, they're looking to do location work on an island, and Eisner's fine. Good. You want to shoot an island? We, we lease an island. You're going to Castaway Key. And they arranged to be there a day that there wasn't a ship there, and, you know, they, they yeah. shot it. A bunch of scenes there on the beach with Kira Knightley and Johnny Depp, but that was at Michael Eisner's insistence to the effect of, 
you know, we've got to spend our money smarter. Yeah, the funny thing to me is like if Eisner knew mm-hmm. how big a success that movie would have been, would he have cared about a million dollars here, a million dollars there? Talking with friends at the studio, they are still trying to figure out how to revive the franchise. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've yeah. got uh, Jungle Cruise. Comes out tomorrow. I'm super excited for it, yeah. Yeah, but it's just the hope at the studios, this will turn into the next Pirates. So frankly, they cannot break the back of the story issue of how do you do Pirates of the Caribbean without Johnny Depp. There isn't a, a film series there. Anyway, back to the Z the Cruise Line. Cruise Line itself gets founded in May of 1995. Eisner... Wants right from the get-go for what Disney does with cruise lines to be different than whatever everybody else is doing at that time. So it's like, first of all, we don't want ships that look like giant milk cartons. We want mm-hmm. ships that look like ships. Ours will be family-friendly, so no casinos. Two of, the, two of the defining characteristics of Disney Cruise Line right there. But the, the other thing that Disney's own research came back and it's like, well, all right. In a lot of ports, a cruise line cannot, in fact, come up to the dock. To they can't tender, passage. right? Yeah, yeah. That's it, exactly. So they have to- or They have to um, tender. Sorry, they can't dock. They have to tender, yeah. Yeah, so that, that it, it involves passengers getting on small boats, which are then ferried to the dock, and then you know, you're running them back and forth all day. And to be honest, this is a point where a lot of folks get injured or people misunderstand schedules and yeah. miss it's the boat. It's a pain. Like, I've been, I've been on a couple of Disney Cruise Line- cruises where the seas were so rough that we we couldn't tender and the reason is is you've got a massive ship like the mm. you know disney cruise line ship and a really really small boat which bob in the ocean at vastly different rates right <laughs> and you've got a plank that goes between them and when the seas are moving up and down five and six feet at a time yeah. it's like trying to it's like trying to uh ride a moving escalator that's uh not only moving up and down but side to side and it's very difficult to do it. So there are times when there are times when Disney cancels tenders. Like we're sorry, we're just not going to this island. But I've actually been I've actually been on detail cruises where it's been too rough to dock at Castaway Key, and those are crazy days. Really? That's like yeah, that's like tropical storm days. I have where we never just heard like hey, we're just going to camp out here today. All right, but that's rare. That's only happened like once. Okay, so again, this this tender issue really is a concern from a yeah. safety point of view, from an operational point of view, and we want to give folks something they can't get anywhere else. So it's like, well, what if Disney has its own private island? So they first look around the Caribbean, actually think about purchasing an island outright, can't find anything in their price range. So what they opt to do is take they take a 99-year lease on Gorda Key. That's in 97. So yep. the lease is up in 2096. So plan those vacations now, folks. Again, we've got that whole parked in the harbor, ticket tender short thing. Disney wants to avoid that, so they spent $25 million and spent 18 months, Lynn, to dredge a 1,700-foot-long channel that leads up to a dock facility of the island. They have to move 50,000 truckloads of sand and rock from the bottom of the Atlantic to create this 35-foot-deep channel, which, by the way, was constructed thinking that, you know, further down the line, we're going to make bigger ships. So to give Disney credit, they looked a little further down the line of, all right, let's make this deeper than we have to. And we mentioned, of course, previously about developing only 55 acres of the island. Yeah, I mean, like like 5% of the island has been developed. Yeah. There was a considerable amount of pushback about theming. First of all, do we just call it Disney Island? It's like, no, that's a little on the nose. There was an exploration of, okay, do we say lean into the Peter Pan mythology? And in the Mm. end, it's like, yeah, you know, no, it's just sort of, you know, we're going to have families on board this thing. We're also going to have single couples, you know, mm-hmm. we'll have adults. And so that's when they default to Castaway Key. Which is a good name. That worked out well. That's a good choice. You've been there dozens of times at this point. So you know about the three different beaches, the ones for family, yep. one for cabana guests, and then, of course, you know, the one strictly for adults. Yep. But that said, they still wanted some You only recorded a live show on the adult beach one time. We did. We did. <laughs> in, in a high wind, I might add. <laughs> they did want to try to put some... Disney on the island. So again, uh, 20,000 leagues ride 
closes the Magic Kingdom in September of 94. The 12 uh, subs that are make up the fleet of that attraction are parked outside in the boneyard starting in 96. And at one point they throw two of the subs on a barge and ship them out to Castaway Key and sink them in the snorkeling lagoon. And, and, they are- and they're still there. You can, you can see them. It's one of the best parts of the uh, snorkeling lagoon. By the way, the snorkeling lagoon is huge. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. paddle around that for a couple of hours and they give yeah. you, they give you, um, life preservers that you can blow up for buoyancy so you don't have to like you know swim the entire time you swim there for a couple of hours and it's an enclosed lagoon so you know you're not like getting super ocean waves or anything but Mm -hmm. it's still exhausting but it's the cruise that you and i went on the thing they don't tell you about snorkeling particularly if you you have a goatee like i do Mm -hmm. you you don't get a good seal so you you, i remember being at dinner that night to the effect of I don't remember where I got black lung, but why can't I stop coughing? It's all the water I swallowed. <laughs> I, uh, the, the thing I remember with that is, so I have a waterproof camera mm-hmm. that I brought and did sort of you know, 30 minutes of underwater snorkeling video. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of colorful fish that you see oh. is really astounding there, mm-hmm. even given the fact that it's Disney and sort of they know what they're, what they're doing there. But yeah, mm-hmm. I really like it quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So, but again, we get the two Disney subs. Isn't there like a Disney or a Mickey Mariner statue sunk in there? There's as a Mickey, well? there's a Minnie, there's a few other things there. Yeah. So, there's a lot of stuff to see snorkeling besides the fish, too. But for a time, that wasn't the only Disney item you could see at Castaway Key. Uh, do you remember being there when they had the Flying Dutchman parked at the island? No, that's right before I started going. It was a wonderful photo opportunity, but it, it was also impossible for folks on the island to resist. The, the number of times they had to basically pull people off to the off. Flying Dutch because yeah. they, they'd swum out there. It just, in the end, it's like, this is too big a liability. Yeah. I, and so they eventually one day just, you know, raised the anchor, you know, rolled the Flying Dutchman around to the other side of the island and dismantled it. Mm. I want to say that was back in November of 2010. Anyway, the island itself opens for business for the first time on July 30th, 1988. And we've seen periodic updates of it. You know, we, we've seen, for example, 2009, we saw the Pelican Plunge Project. Yep. Likewise, in 2015, we saw the summertime freeze open. This is supposed to be rustic. This is supposed to be low-key. You know, we want things it is, that- And it is. It's, you know, it, there's no, like, you know, three-story tower of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, serving ice cream or whatever. It's all very, very casual, very sort of like go from hut to hut and see what's going on. Which brings us now to what got announced in August of 2019, the Lighthouse Point project. Yeah. And this is in conjunction with Disney adding uh, three more ships to its fleet. The idea being that between the, uh, the three and four night itineraries of the dream, mm-hmm. the seven night itineraries of the fantasy, and the various itineraries of the magic and wonder, mm-hmm. basically that one berth at Castaway Key was spoken for virtually every day of the week. Yep, And there was yep. going to be no way to add three more ships to that mm-hmm. without cutting Castaway Key from some of the itineraries. The problem of having the island in service day after day after day after day. It, it's, an, it's an isolated, they, they have to bring, some staff live there, right? But then they have to float. They do. They there, have were to float. Yeah, the, there were 140 people who, you know, the height of the season, you know, are, are on the island. Yeah. The wear and tear on the island itself is fairly astounding. So yeah. that was another reason why Lighthouse Point was put in the works, but also very, very different design aesthetic. Yeah. Castaway Key is going to be your rustic, fun location, right. where Lighthouse Point is going to be that much more sophisticated, you know, a touch more modern. And Lighthouse Point is actually connected to a larger island as well. It's not, it's a peninsula, right? Not the mm-hmm. entire island. This is true. Island this itself. is true. Whereas mm-hmm. Castaway Key is a self-contained island that you've got yeah. a boat Mm-hmm. Uh, everything back and forth, yeah. Lighthouse Point was announced in August of 2019, and as recently of March of this year, Bob Chapek was like, no, I know we've been dealing with some issues at the company, but that project's still definitely moving forward. You know, they will be coming online 2023, 2025? Something like that. 
Okay. A month after the Lighthouse Point project was announced, Hurricane Dorian came through the area, and Disney actually dealt with some pretty negative publicity because they cleared more than half of the staff off of the island, but the 60 uh, cast members stayed on the island with the notion of, well, you know, after the storm clears, we're going to have to, you know, repair the damage and get the place ready for the cruise line to come through. And it was one of these one of these things where Disney got some heat about the effect of you put profits above people. And yeah, you know, they, I mean, have have you been to um, Fort Jefferson in the Dry Tortugas uh, off the coast of uh, Key West in Florida? I can't say that I have. So it's run by the National Park Service. It was mm-hmm. a um, it was a fort built in the 1800s mm-hmm. by the U.S. government to prevent piracy in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. We all know how well that went. Yeah. Um, but there's but the National Park Service maintains a crew there to mm-hmm. maintain the island even during hurricanes and they're like yeah you know we we have buildings and we just we sort of ride it out and i, I mm-hmm. didn't i didn't think at the time that that was any big deal no 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 and in fact and, and let's be honest here hurricane dorian it only got within 40 miles of castaway key and by then it had shifted into a tropical storm mode sure. i mean still we're talking 73 mile an hour winds but again i you know sometimes you know people complain complain about disney just for the sheer joy of you know whether well, the biggest target and in fact you know well disney put profits above people you know uh, you know that's what they're saying in september of 2019 and then Seven months later, here comes the pandemic in March of uh, 2020. You know, they shut down the entire cruise line for 16 plus months. And, you know, so finally now, this coming week, we see them, you know, head out, uh, you know, for this this first cruise and head to Castaway Key. So, yeah, I'm super excited to see what uh, what happens when it comes back. So, Jim, where, so I know Castaway Key is like 100 miles north of Nassau and, Mm. NASA itself is a relatively small, is on a small island that is not sort of the big island of the Bahamas. But no. where's Lighthouse Point relative to Castaway Key in the ocean? Like Nassau is between Castaway Key and Lighthouse Point, I thought. It's like a hundred and some miles. It is. And, it it's, is. and it's farther east, isn't it? Yeah. And in fact, I, I forget who I was talking with about, they're still eyeballing the what's going to be the ideal travel pattern the thinking is that we want a palate cleanser between Castaway Key and Lighthouse Point. We don't necessarily want to go sail from one straight to the other. Oh, you think? I uh, think there are cruises that would do both. Oh, I guess there would be, wouldn't there? No, oh, there'd have to be. You know, in yeah, fact, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what Disney has found from its own survey work suggests. You are dealing now, I mean, face it, you know, the first cruises went out in, you know, 1998. And you've got 23 years of of cruising. So, you know, you've got people who took their kids on them and they're now those children, you know, those children have families of their own. And the nostalgia factor of I want to take my kids to Castaway Key, you know, in in a weird sort of way, Castaway Key is going to be the magic kingdom to Lighthouse Points Epcot. Yes, people want to go to the newer, sophisticated island, but they're still going to want to return to the the thing they know and love from their childhood. So, wow, that's uh, that's super interesting. So there you go. There's your your history of, of Gorda Key, Castaway Key. Now you've run the the marathon on the island. I've run the the five k on the island every time I go. Yeah, which is it's it's a lot of fun. Well, okay, so it's difficult because if you're on a longer cruise, you're basically sitting around and eating for three or four days. Mm-hmm. And then one morning you wake up and run three miles, which <laughs> which not not really compatible with a buffet based lifestyle gym. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about that is is that traditionally the people who are running the five k are the first on the island each morning, so you get more island time, which is important. Oh. Um, you know, and and you do get a medal, right? Which mm-hmm. is super cool, and you know it's a good excuse to have that. Uh, uh, second buffet lunch because you mm-hmm. worked up an appetite. The uh, the other interesting thing is there's a you know the because it's an island and it, to your point it's only what five feet above sea level, mm-hmm. right? There's a constant breeze going through the island, so you can run and even if it's like ninety degrees outside, you you don't really get hot until the end mm-hmm. because of the uh, the breeze. You also go through a bunch of natural areas. It's all very pretty. Um, okay. You run along the runway. So like the runway is the first and last straightaway that you get. It's an out and back mm-hmm. um, course. But you run around the, um, the observation tower uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I mentioned. And so that's fun. And, um, you can do biking on there. I know mm-hmm. I mentioned the, um, the snorkeling. 
Mm-hmm. There's the adult private beach, which you and I have been on. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the food's excellent on the island. I, I like the island quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm super interested to see what they do at Lighthouse Point because Same thing here. on the one hand, mm-hmm. you know, you look at what like Royal Caribbean's doing um, with its multiple island stops in the Caribbean. And the idea is to build, you know, more, bigger, better, right? On the other hand, that's not the philosophy of Castaway Key. And I think that's what a lot of us like about Castaway Key. That's it, exactly. But at the same time, that's the fascinating part of the Lighthouse Point project. Yeah. The notion of this is the more rustic. So how do you do, you know, Lighthouse Point, the more sophisticated? Yeah. I wonder if it's going to be like a like a Wilderness Lodge, Fort Wilderness thing. Or like, you know, what ooh, is like, ooh. yeah. Interesting point. So when, when, is, uh, when is Lighthouse Point? When is it open? The problem is, of course, there was the opening date that was announced pre-pandemic, and then yeah. there's the, you know, what we're dealing with now. So that's, again, the slippy slidey of, oh, did I say 2023? I meant 2025. What even is time, yeah. Bob Chapek, as early as March of this year, confirmed that, yes, it's still going forward, and keep that in mind for when we fire up the cruise line, which I'm going to be fascinated to hear what you're able to share from the folks you have on this first brand new cruise. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it on next week's show. Cool, cool. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including an upcoming new show on the history of the Flying Saucers of Disneyland. On next week's show, it's the anniversary of the opening of Haunted Mansion at Disneyland, and Jim and I talk about the history of Disney's Haunted Mansions. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at tutorialplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be judging the dog show at the 30th annual North Country Moose Festival on Friday, August 27th from 3 to 8 p.m. on Main Street in beautiful downtown Colebrook, New Hampshire. Jim, that's got to be near where you live, right? That's right. At, at, at the end of the other dirt road where they can't get mail delivery. Oh, my God. What a coincidence. So, <laughs> Well, Aaron's doing that. Please go into iTunes and write our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.